The Menopause Space Podcast is brought to you by Reset 40, an evidence-based nutrition and wellness program for menopause and perimenopause. Menopause is often viewed as a challenge of middle age, but the truth is there are many women like me who experience premature menopause for a variety of reasons. Here at the Menopause Space, we think it's important to share the stories of what can be a very isolating experience. Our guest today went through a medically induced menopause for the first time in her early 20s and then experienced a second medically induced menopause after having her two children. She also happens to hold a senior leadership position at a leading global insurer. Today, Nikki Davies, head of DE&I at Prudential, shares her unique perspective with us. I'm Lisa Tarquini in Hong Kong, and you're listening to The Menopause Space. Coming up on this episode... If we're talking back about women in positions of power and corporates and boardrooms, I think specifically to Hong Kong, right, specifically to the organizations that I can hear is that there's not enough women at those leadership tables for people to feel that they can talk about these kind of issues. So how does menopause impact women in the workplace? What can be done and what are the issues specific to premature menopause for those going through it? So if you think back to your role and back, you know, when it first started, did you have anybody to talk to at work about what you were going through to feel that sense of support at work so that on days where you didn't feel 100% that you could tell somebody and, and be able to just get through the day? Yeah, at that time there was, I mean, there was a few colleagues that were, were older women, but I don't, I don't recall like having you know, any specific conversations. It was also because it was my own company. Again, you know, I had to be a certain person. I'm not allowed to have an off day. So yeah, very much like masking. Nobody knows what's going on. I show up and yeah, just get things done. And that resilience becomes part of who you are. And, you know, you get told things like, oh, you're the toughest person I know. And you're so resilient. You can get through this. And that's a microaggression in itself, right? That you just feel more and more isolated, more and more that you don't have support. You're not permitted to be the weak one anywhere in your life to ask for support. That's kind of how it shows up. But is that something, um, and I'm talking just from my own personal experience, like as a character, I feel like we're quite similar. And do you feel like that is something that you put the masks on and you did that and you didn't want to seem weak because being vulnerable actually isn't a sign of weakness. Even if you own your own company, you're still human to have an off day, but you probably what I'm sensing back then, you felt, you know, you couldn't let your mask down, you couldn't let that facade go. You had to keep going. And that's where people would have said to you, you're so resilient, you're, you know, you're this. Yeah, it's interesting you ask that because, you know, when you do let that mask down, you you then do say, I'm not well, I'm not right. You get labeled, right? It would, so it's so it's all well and good to say, yeah, vulnerability is a strength. I've preached that for years in my role. But then you get feedback of, yeah, now you're emotional, right? Now you're difficult to work with because you're asking for this and you're saying this or you're calling out that. Yeah, you you get you get labeled the, the other way. So it's a double edged sword. The only thing I can say as a 
advice is just be the authentic person that you are, right? And that's what I've always tried to be. Like, I want to be people to understand that it's just, it's not easy for anybody in the world, right? And nobody is going in there to be like nasty or to hurt another person generally, right? It's like occasionally we get psychopaths, right? But most people are just trying to get through their day with all the baggage that comes with it, right? And it's not about you. And that that's something that I try in, in my work in diversity and inclusion is that somebody did something, but it's probably they've got something else going on in their life, right? And managers are human, right? People at the top of the organization are human. Everybody's dealing with stuff that you've got no concept of. And that's... I think even bigger for people that are going through the menopause and women that are um, experiencing this or people that have transitioned as well. And they just have these things that they're dealing with that you don't, no one even knows about. We we often choose to jump to assumptions and say, yeah, well, you're doing this because when really there's just, there's a whole host of other things that are going on. So yeah, in diversity inclusion, when I'm dealing with these things, I'm also like, what else could be the underlying issue here and is somebody just dealing with stuff and not escalate, not go hard in, just try and find another way to deal with the situation. Absolutely. But how, how you know, if this is systemic through corporates and even just general business, you know, I was at a mental health group last night with DE&I leaders in Hong Kong and just talking about professionalism and being present and, and, you know, being vulnerable at work and just everything that you said, being your authentic self, it still seems like it's quite a challenge. And if you think that, you know, women have historically had to fight to get positions at the top table. And I love Sheryl Sandberg's, you know, (laughs) optimism, but it's still a fight for a lot of women to lean in and get those positions in the C-suite and and things like that. But when they are there and they're not able to be their authentic self, then how is that able to change systemically throughout the organization? Because Generally, it starts from top down. So where do we begin to support women in the workplace going through something like possibly endometriosis in their 20s and 30s or premature ovarian insufficiency in their 20s and 30s, or even if they're starting just natural menopause in their 40s and on? How do we you know, open up this avenue to help women feel that they can turn up to work and be their authentic self? So I- I mean, I would challenge the assumption that women can always turn up to be their authentic self. I think more and more we are able to do that. There is sometimes a higher bar on women where you come up and like you, you've got grit and you've pushed and you're a survivor and you take the time to, to make sure that you give yourself a talking to and you stand up for what you believe in. And then women are not able to say the same things as men so that i think it's a different challenge right i'm not sure that women are not their authentic self in the workplace but i think where it does become a challenge is quite often women don't know how they're being perceived and how they're being labeled and how other people are experiencing them because you're just going through 
the brain fog and you're trying to do a good job and you're trying to do the best that you can whilst fighting all this change in your body and like your body's basically fighting against you and saying, you need to get through this. You need to get this done, right? There's all this pressure on you and you're, yeah, you just don't know how other people are receiving you. And it's the same. I think it's just people, actually. It's not just women that experience this, right? That there's that, this aspect. But if we're talking back about like women in positions of power and corporates and boardrooms, I think specifically to Hong Kong, right? Specifically to organizations that I can hear is that there's not enough women at those leadership tables for people to feel that they can talk about these kind of issues. Talking about things like putting sanitary towels in the toilet, right? A woman sitting at the leadership table might go, I think I'm going to choose a different battle than that battle is the biggest issue that I want to take to the table because I am a woman going through menopause. Do I want to go and champion that when there's like all the other issues? So I think quite often these kind of topics and women's topics get sidelined because there's bigger things to solve for. I don't think it's necessarily that corporates go, yeah, this is not an important thing. It's just that in the terms of what's important and what's a priority right now, it's not there. And it's just, if you get someone that like, finds that, yeah, that's the, that is the thing I want to fight for, right? That's the thing I want to champion. That's the thing as an executive I want to sponsor. That's when you get the progress. But it needs to be something you're, that people are passionate about, right? You can't ask someone to just back a cause when they don't even know or understand what it's about. So yeah, usually if you find those people that are like passionate about championing a cause, that's when the progress gets made, whether it's, you know, menopause, whether it's about the periods of inclusion, whether it's about LGBTQI, whether it's about disability, you need that passion there and the, the desire to make a change on that topic. Um, because quite honestly, it's like boiling the ocean in the DNI space. <laughs> I know, and I'm learning all about this and the amount of, I don't want to say issues, but the amount of strategies that you have to put in place for this inclusion and this belonging. I think the challenge that I have with having a passion for a women's health issue is that 51% of the population, global population, are women and around 90% of of those females born with ovaries who identify as females will ha go through menopause. And, you know, now we're seeing that women over 50 are becoming the largest growing demographic in the workplace. So, you know, is it that somebody has to have a passion for menopause to be able to put strategies in place for them? Or is it a, just a fundamental need to recognize that, no, you don't have to shout it loudly and proudly, but you can put some reasonable adjustments within the organization. You can, you know, even just do some education that is organization wide. That's helpful because that, that helps people recognize that, oh, at least my boss understands that if I'm having a day where maybe I've got such bad brain fog, I can't drive to work and I have to work from home. I can say it without feeling vulnerable or like they are weak, but you're probably thinking is that's the same for every cause, Lisa, <laughs> is it? So I want, what I like to share about this kind of thing in DNI is like, it's another example, right? So think about 
it's a bit of a pivot, a bit of a tangent, but stay with me. Think about your mobile phone and what you're using on Instagram or TikTok or whatever platform. Nowadays, you see these videos and they've all got the words being written on the screen. Everybody's using that technology. That technology was invented for people who were hard of hearing, but now it's become mainstream. And it's the same for these niche, if you don't mind, niche issues is if you make your workplace inclusive for as many people as possible, like the lowest common denominator, make it inclusive, then everybody's going to benefit. If instead of it being sick leave, sick leave itself makes people feel, oh, I have to be, have a physical ailment. It then excluded people that were like, were having a mental health crisis or a mental health issue, was having brain fog, right? Just needed like a duvet day. Sometimes we just need that day off, a mental wellness. So seeing companies pivot from having sick leave to wellness leave, that shift in itself is inclusive of people that have got menopause and making sure that we've got, we're able to take advantage of that and having managers that are like, ask no questions. If someone says, I can't work today, that's fine. It's totally okay. You don't need to give me the details. You don't need to get sick leave certificates unless it's like a longer period of time. But you know, I think and feel that there is more of that happening. I know at least in, in our organization, like it's now wellness leave, not sick leave. It's now incorporates people with everything from like mental illness to, you know, if you've got brain fog and you can't come to work that day, you don't need to like, Go and make a big song and dance about it. You know, just tell your manager. And the other thing that I'm really starting to see a trend with is moving more towards managing by objectives and presenteeism not being so expected. That I think is the first time I went through menopause, you were expected to be in work from this time, 10 until 7, right? That was, you were there and also you were there on Saturdays. That seems to not be as prevalent as it used to be. And I think that's, again, something that when you go to the the basic need of people sometimes just need that space, like gives people the free free space and manages the autonomy to give people that space, then yeah, you're going to create a workplace where it is more conducive for people going through the menopause. And then it doesn't need to be something that you, you champion. It's just that Oh, and by the way, I'm taking this off. I'm, yeah, I'm going through this issue and the stigma gets removed as well because it is a mental health issue as well as a physical issue, the menopause. And I think that's what a lot of people don't realize. You're fundamentally changing as a person. Yeah, mentally and physically. And and also, you know, you were so fortunate to have the opportunity to have one you know, two children, but a lot of women don't have that opportunity and fertility then can come into that, which again is another mental health issue. So there's so many layers to, you know, hormonal health, um, I suppose. So, you know, just from the first period right through to menopause and post and beyond that. I suppose in in a workplace, how do you cover it all? And that wellness uh, leave could be something that is in, you know encompasses all of that, the mental side of it as well as the physical side of it. We just we're doing a survey currently. We're asking women in Hong Kong about their experience, their symptoms, and the impact it's had on their work. And there's been a, a 
a big report on, you know, having a supportive boss would be beneficial. And I think that both women and men understanding that it can happen at any time, going through different phases of of hormonal um, imbalance, um, but also both men and women understanding and being educated in the impact it can have on a person's health rather than it's just natural, get on with it. You know, I think that's something that I feel still could be beneficial within groups of friends, within families, uh, within schools for children to understand what their mum is going through, for husbands to understand what their wives are going through, or even partners to understand what their wives are going through, and for you know organisations to understand what their employees may experience, because not everybody gets these symptoms. 75% of women do, and 25% of women, it will be debilitating. But you know, so it is on varying degrees. So that level of education, I feel, is still necessary so that somebody can be a supportive leader, you know, and not to question if somebody is having a hot flash and because every woman on the planet is different and will manage how they cope with their symptoms differently. And some women report that they don't enjoy the joking around the hot flushes or the brain fog and the memory loss because it can be quite debilitating for some women. Where some women it will just, you know, go over their head. It won't, it won't be an issue. So it's understanding how to, you know, work with somebody on an individual basis and, and be supportive with that individual as well, because everybody's unique, you know. So as a DE and I leader and somebody who has got a huge list of things to do, you know, what do you feel could be something immediate that organizations in Hong Kong could put in place? And what change, if any, would you like to see with regards to the menopause space in Hong Kong? I think having more companies take mental health and coaching and counseling seriously and making it clear that that is available to anyone at any stage when they need it. And that there's no stigma around it. I think there's still this stigma in Hong Kong around, oh, you're talking to a counsellor, right? Like you're getting mental health support. And it's kind of seen still as a last resort when really it, it should just be a part of normal health. It shouldn't just be that you're reaching out when you hit crisis mode. So yeah, I think normalizing that and making sure that know that those things are available there's like some really wonderful apps and employee assistance programs that are there that employees don't even really know and then featuring some of those key things that are in there and working with your employee assistance program partner or with another organization and making sure that these things get talked about and that the stigma gets removed i think will be hugely helpful uh, for employers to do as a first step and, you know, longer term, you know, you, I don't think that, that companies have got a endless pit of money to throw lots of solutions at everything. They can't solve for every single thing. But again, think back to like the inclusive workspace. Is there something that you can do which applies across all the intersections, like all the areas that's just going to help th- help people be a little bit better um, or better at getting access to that support when they need it? and that um, compassion and understanding when they need it. Yeah, no, totally agree. And if there's somebody listening who, like you, is experiencing 
endometriosis or and possibly going through induced menopause um, early in their 20s, early 30s, or somebody who's going through premature ovarian insufficiency. Is there any resources or anything that you would recommend in Hong Kong for those women to reach out and, and get the help that they need? Yeah, I think they should go and talk to you. I think that there's medical professionals here. I've always found like get a hard rap sometimes, like the bedside manner is not right or, you know, they're very direct. But I think that you can talk to your medical professional and you'll find someone who is a specialist in this area. And I know that you're engaging those and you're getting those people the publicity in the space. So, you know, seek out the the NGO support in the menopause space because you can find a community there that can really help you get through this because it's a lonely journey when you don't know what's happening. And, you know, having someone like yourself to talk to or anybody else that's got these experiences, yeah, just reach out and say, hey, can I have a chat? And you know, most of us will say, yeah, of course, and can help to direct because everybody got it's a different need. I don't think that there's one thing that I've seen that went, yeah, you should go in on this website yet. But I think that you're starting to build it. And I, I think it's, it's commendable because there's a lot of misinformation out there. Uh, when you do, you go to uh, Google and um, Dr. Google, and I think that it, that in itself can you know, send you into a spiral. So yeah, finding finding like a yeah, some people to talk to and that are some fact check resources. Yeah, like the HRT thing, you know, oh yeah, it's gonna impact your heart and your bones and like oh it's like, you know, there is information there. Go and talk to someone who has made this their life's work and are passionate about advocating for, for you. So yeah, go and go and find somebody like that. Thank you. And I, I wholeheartedly agree with, you know, reaching out. It can be lonely, especially when you're going through it younger. Um, and I don't know how um, you felt, but, you know, at 32, none of my friends were going through it. Only I could only chat to my mom and my aunts, you know, but they had limited knowledge on it because it wasn't the knowledge wasn't available back then, you know, so it was quite a lonely existence. So this community that we're trying to build with the menopause space is for that. And we're not medical professionals, but we can signpost to medical professionals in Hong Kong. And, it, it, you know, everybody's individual. So th there's many different types of treatments that you can engage in. So um, thank you. Well, thank you so much for coming on to the menopause space. Oh, thank you for doing this and advocating for a very silent group of people who, yeah, a lot of people struggle in silence. And I'm the same as you. I don't have friends that are going through this. And me and you has been a blessing. It's uh, really at the right space at the right time, you know, to to meet someone like you and you know, what you're advocating for. So it's, it's wonderful. Thank you for doing what you're doing. Thank you so much. Bye, Nikki. Before we go, We'd like to share details of our flagship event taking place in Hong Kong on October 18, World Menopause Day. What the Fog is Hong Kong's first menopause festival, where we discuss and measure the impact of menopause on work, personal and social health. To join the event or to take part in our Hong Kong survey on menopause in the workplace, please visit themenopausespace.com for more information. We'd like to dearly thank all our participants in season one for sharing their experiences, insights and perspectives on the Menopause Space podcast. 
This podcast is a Bold Type Productions podcast. The executive producer is Paula Seals and the editor is Richard Eldred. Subscribe to the Menopause Space for more details on season two coming soon. I'm Lisa Tarquini in Hong Kong and thank you for listening. <laughs>